Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. God's forgiveness is real and it's thorough and he doesn't hold stuff against us and he doesn't bring up our past and throw it in our face over and over again. When we come to him in sincerity and we confess and we repent and he forgives us, it's done. And just through a matter of time and his mercy and grace, he can take something and he can make something good out of it. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Jeremiah chapters 46 through 52. Now here's Pastor Brian. So the Babylonian Talmud is actually the more common and more popular Talmud. Now the Talmud wasn't even assembled until after the time of Jesus. So all that to say, Babylon was never destroyed. Babylon just eventually faded out from history and today is a heap of old stones. There's nothing left of it today. But the way Jeremiah describes the destruction of it makes me, and not me only, others as well, think that there could be a rebuilding of Babylon in the future. And the the book of Revelation talking about Babylon could very well be the literal Babylon that is rebuilt. The literal Babylon could become the center of the empire of the Antichrist. Now, many people assume that Rome was the, was the replacement for that. Even in Peter's epistle where he makes a reference to Babylon, uh, some early Christian writers said that that was a code word for Rome. Maybe so, but maybe not. Paul didn't seem to speak in code about Rome. He spoke very clearly about Rome. So I don't think there's any really airtight case that says that that Rome replaced Babylon. We know that there's a connection between these empires from, from what we see in the book of Daniel. But when the book of Revelation speaks of Babylon, you know, the New King James Version reads, it speaks of mystery Babylon. And therefore, it's been easy to think that, well, it's not literal Babylon, it's, it's, it's mystery Babylon. But the wording mystery Babylon is probably not the best way to, to um, translate the phrase from the Greek. The better way is just to describe, uh, just to say it that, The things that he's talking about is a mystery. And then Babylon the Great begins kind of a new focus. So it's not necessarily mystery Babylon. It's just Babylon the Great. So again, we don't know. But it might be the case. And maybe you remember Saddam Hussein was, not only was Saddam Hussein attempting planning to rebuild Babylon, 
because he thought himself uh, kind of a second Nebuchadnezzar. So he was planning to rebuild Babylon, and then, of course, his life was cut short, so he didn't get to finish his, his plans there. But even the United Nations, before everything sort of erupted uh, after the Gulf War in that region and after the, the second Gulf War, the United Nations themselves were making plans for a cultural center that would be based in Babylon. So it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating, really. So again, I personally think that it's not out of the question that Babylon could be rebuilt in the future because Babylon was not destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah was. That is a historical fact. So, and like I said, these are prophecies near and far. The near was the Persians, but there's a distant one as well. So that brings us to the final part of Jeremiah's book here. And this is really amazing. Now, remember, Jeremiah, he was, as, as we said before, he was one of the most courageous people, I think, that ever lived. Because you remember, he had to confront the leaders of his nation personally, face to face, and deliver them the word of the Lord that judgment was coming. Remember that? We, we looked at that, I think it was last time, where Zedekiah... He pulls him aside, and Zedekiah is this wicked king, and he pulls him aside. He says, okay, Jeremiah, is there a word from the Lord? What does the Lord have to say? And Jeremiah says, yes, there is a word from the Lord. You're going to be uh, taken to Babylon. <laughs> king Nebuchadnezzar is going to destroy this city. So he's, he's very courageous. And we see that same kind of boldness here as we look at the final closing here, where he commissions uh, this man, we don't really know anything else about him, but Sarahiah, he's going to be sort of Jeremiah's representative in Babylon. And, and look what it says. So the word which Jeremiah the prophet commanded Sarahiah, the son of Neriah, when he went with Zedekiah, king of Judah, to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign, and Sarahiah was the quartermaster. So Jeremiah wrote in a book all the evil that would come upon Babylon. So remember, most of this book is talking about the evil that's going to come upon Jerusalem. And you remember what they were saying about Jeremiah? They were saying, he's a, he's a traitor. He's actually working for Babylon. He's in the employment of the king. He's for the king. He's an agent of Nebuchadnezzar. That's what they were saying about him because he was pronouncing a judgment upon uh, Jerusalem. But look what he's doing now. He says these words that are written against Babylon. And he says, when you arrive in Babylon and see it and read all these words, then you shall say, O Lord, you have spoken against this place to cut it off so that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but it shall be desolate forever. Now it shall be when you have finished reading the book that you shall tie a stone to it and throw it into the Euphrates, 
Then you shall say, thus Babylon shall sink and not rise from the catastrophe that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. So it's obvious that Jeremiah is not working for Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Jeremiah is working for God. And so just as God pronounces a judgment and brings his judgment upon Jerusalem, and now the Lord turns, and as he's been saying, he's going to bring his judgment upon Babylon. And so thus far are the words of Jeremiah. Now, chapter 52 is, again, it's sort of a review. It's a recap of the destruction of Jerusalem. And so just a couple of things here. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became the king. He reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah till he finally cast them out from his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign in the 10th month on the 10th day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it, and they built a siege wall against it all around. So the city was besieged until the 11th year of King Hezekiah. And so, wow, a two-year siege. By the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city wall was broken through and all the men of war fled and went out of the city at night by way of the gate between the two walls, which was by the king's garden. Even though the Chaldeans were near the city all around and they went by way of the plain, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and they overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. And so they took the king and they brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah in the land of Hamath, and he pronounced a judgment upon him. And then the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and he killed the princes of Judah in Riblah. He also put out the eyes of Zedekiah. And the king of Babylon bound him in bronze fetters, took him to Babylon, and put him in prison till the day of his death. Wow. So the, the prophecy against Zedekiah, it, it was mysterious because it had said that he would go to Babylon, but he wouldn't see it. And how was that going to be the case? Well, here's how it happened. And so his sons are slain before his eyes. And that he's taken away to Babylon, but his eyes are gouged out by Nebuchadnezzar as, as a judgment, as, as God's judgment upon him. And so he burned the house of the Lord, verse 13, and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem and all the houses of the great, he burned with fire and verse 24, the captain of the guard took Sariah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the second priest, the three doorkeepers. He also took out of the city an officer in charge of the war. And verse 26, Nebuzaradan, the captain 
of the guard took these and brought them to the king at Riblah, and the king struck them down and put them to death. And so this is just the, the final record of the events there. And then verse 31 is interesting because it says, Now it came to pass in the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiachin, king of Judah. So Jehoiachin was also deported. And in the 12th month, on the fifth day of the month, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the first year of his reign, lifted up the head of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, and brought him out of his prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin changed from his prison garments, and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. And as for his provisions, there was a regular ration given to him by the king of Babylon, a portion for each day until the day of his death, all the days of his life. So this is just... Uh, a little indicator of the mercy of God still upon the people, uh, even in this horrible, horrible situation. And so that brings us to the end of Jeremiah's prophecy. Now, let's not forget that between Ezekiel and Jeremiah, there's a little book called Lamentations. And Lamentations is an extension of Jeremiah. It's, it's separate from Jeremiah, but Lamentations is actually Jeremiah's own lament that he penned over the destruction of Jerusalem. And so before we eventually move on to Ezekiel, we will look at Jeremiah's personal lament. But the thing that I want to just finish up with is just that reminder, because we saw it in Isaiah and we saw it all the way through Jeremiah. The Lord, two things. Number one, God is always wanting people to turn to him rather than have to judge them. That's the heart of God. God does not delight in judgment. God delights in mercy. And that is such a wonderful thing to know. For for us, God delights in mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment, the scripture says. Uh, There's even a passage in Isaiah that talks about God's strange work. And the strange work is judgment. Because God would prefer not to judge. And as we saw really clearly through Jeremiah the Lord was just, he was pushed to the limit. There was nothing else he could do. He gave them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to turn back to him, and they just simply would never do it. And so that brought the judgment. So we see that God, his first inclination is toward mercy rather than judgment. And the second thing that I want us to see is that God promises even after judgment that there is hope for restoration. That is such a beautiful thing too. Because even as Christians, we sin sometimes. And sometimes people get into deep sin and into actual rebellion against the will of God. And they can really mess things up. 
they can really screw their lives up and the lives of people around them. And in some of those cases, it almost seems like it would be an impossibility for there to ever be any good thing that could happen in the future. But as I always say to people, with true repentance, the sky's the limit. If, if people truly repent, if people truly take responsibility for their sin, full acknowledgement that they have sinned, and come to God and ask him for forgiveness and for mercy, he will forgive, he will have mercy, and guess what? He will even restore. This is the amazing thing. There can be blessings in the future, even though there might have been serious sin in the past. It all comes down to a true confession. Because God is just waiting to show mercy to people. And he's waiting to restore. And it's such a beautiful thing to see, you know, to see people whose, whose lives have, they've made a mess out of their lives, even as Christians, because they've rebelled against the Lord. But then they came to their senses at a point and they repented and oftentimes in, Situations that I know about, the last thing they ever thought, I mean, you know, to receive God's forgiveness was one thing, but the last thing anyone was thinking was that there was ever going to be like any, like a, like a restoration and a, and a blessing again in their lives. But to the surprise of many, that's exactly what they found. Because God's forgiveness is real and it's thorough and he doesn't hold Uh, stuff against us and he doesn't bring up our past and throw it in our face over and over again when we come to him in sincerity and we confess and we repent and he forgives us it's done and just through a matter of time and his mercy and grace he can take something and he can make something good out of it and we talked a little bit about um Manasseh in this study, because remember, he was the father of Josiah. Man, what a case in point. 55 years as the king does more in his reign to to bring Israel into idolatry and perversion and ultimately to bring Israel into judgment. But he's carried off captive and he repents and God has mercy on him and restores and actually blesses him in the future. So it's just a reminder that we serve a blessing God. That's the first way we should always think about him. The God who delights in blessing. The God who, as he revealed himself as so many times, the God who is slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. The God who's full of compassion. The God who cast our sins away from us as far as the east is from the west and remembers them no more. That's the God we serve. So we want to keep that in mind for ourselves. We want to keep that in mind for others who sin because sometimes, you know, I found in sometimes in my life that others have sinned that I've wanted to withhold forgiveness from them. I've wanted to hold back on embracing or, or being a, an instrument of blessing to them because, well, you know, God, they, you know, they, they really sinned. They really sinned against you, Lord. Yes, Brian, I know they did, but I forgave them. 
so you need to get on board with what I'm doing. I, I want to bless them. I've had that actually happen in my own experience. And so, and then the final application is let's remember that those sinners out there, of which we are, we're a part of that, God's first inclination toward them is mercy. He wants to save them. Remember the story of Jonah. Jonah, you know, what do you say about Jonah? You know, he was the reluctant prophet. And he was, remember, God called him to go to Assyria, that great, that great city, or to Nineveh, that great city, and to pronounce judgment upon it. And you remember what Jonah did? He got in a boat and he went the opposite direction. Why did he do that? Now, the Assyrians were ruthless, brutal, murderous, violent. Some people think, well, he was afraid. No, he wasn't afraid. Well, he was afraid, but he wasn't afraid of the Ninevites. Here's what he was afraid of. He was afraid that if he went and preached, God would forgive them. And he didn't want that to happen. He wanted God to judge them. But it was just as he feared when he finally got to Nineveh and he preached, they repented and God did not judge them. And the Lord said when, after the fact, Jonah was depressed and suicidal because God didn't judge them, the Lord said to Jonah, he said, Jonah, there are 120,000 in this city who don't know their right hand from their left. And there's animals. And I mean, it's almost like God is saying, Jonah, have a heart. You know, have some mercy, have some compassion. And sometimes we look out at the world and we think, God, why haven't you judged the world yet? Well, somebody was probably thinking that while we were still out in the world. And thank God that he didn't judge, right? Because we got to be brought in in his extended mercy. And so we just have to keep in mind that we're not here to fight with the world. We're here to proclaim salvation to the world. We're here to fight with the devil who wants to drag the world to hell with himself. That's who our fight is with. It's not with the people. Our job is to get the good news to them. And it's going to it's going to come in a much more desirable way if it's brought in the spirit that God intends it to be brought in, which is that spirit of mercy and love and forgiveness. So God help us. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. An important aspect of the Christian life is understanding that we are in a spiritual battle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, the Apostle Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 6, but we are in a war against these principalities and powers, against these spiritual beings. And so, I've written a book 
that was at one time entitled Spiritual Warfare, but in the updated version, I changed the title to The Powers of Darkness and the People of God. And I think this is such an important book. So many of us go about experiencing the what is really the attack of, of the devil, but we don't even realize that that's what's going on. So this book will inform you not only of how to detect when the enemy's at work, but also of how to combat the various schemes of the enemy to mess with us and to undermine our faith and to just basically make our lives miserable. So I want to encourage you to pick up a copy of The Powers of Darkness and The People of God. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Brian Broderson. You can order the book The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Brian Broderson. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.